My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and I want to welcome you to episode five of Deep Natter. In this episode, Sean talks about a recent trip to London where he may have had his most productive day of photography ever, which is a pretty bold statement given how often he shoots. We also talk about the importance of inspirational friends and our shared appreciation for the work of Richard Avedon, Don McCullen, and Sally Mann. Here we go. How was London? You, you've gone back for a couple of days. Yeah, so last week I spent uh, uh, filming a couple of videos for the channel and uh, did some photography, hung out with some friends. It was actually great. I had, I had like, I, had, I probably had the most productive day of, of photography I've ever had. And I don't know really? why. Yeah, I don't know. Well, just like out and about on the street. I mean, I, you know, sometimes you go out and you do sort of photographs on the street and you come back with nothing. And some days you come right. back with two shots. And some days that are really good, you come back with five, you know, that you like. But for some reason, like just everything was clicking. And I, I came, I mean, okay, they're not, they're not portfolio worthy shots. But, you know, at the, like the lowest entry point is like something I'd be willing to share on Instagram because I use it like more like a scrapbook of ideas. And I'm not mm -hmm. kidding. In a day, I had like 40 to 45 shots. I'm like, holy shit. Oh, I could just wow. share these. These are all interesting for some reason, you know, and maybe maybe two or three in a day. I'd be happy to put in next year's book, which is like unheard of for me. So that was wow. It was cool. Yeah, it was really good. And it was shooting with someone else, which is often not usually the case. You know, I usually have to be on my own to do that. But Josh and I were out for the day. And yeah, it was just a, just a good day all around. Have you done kind of a post-mortem on it to, to maybe pull out what was different or what, like what some of the factors or catalysts were? Or are you just kind of, kind of go with it and let it be? The light was good. Um, that was hmm. definitely it. Uh, uh, Soho, where we were walking around, was kind of coming back to life as well after lockdowns, mm -hmm. which was good. So there was sort of more vitality, more things going on. Um, I think that I think that it's helped being out of London and then going back to visit because you can take something for granted when you're just in it regularly. Sure. But, but taking a, a good sort of two, three uh, months break uh, and then going back for a few days was like it was nice to kind of view it with slightly fresher eyes kind of get right. more ideas and well and uh, before you left you were you were out there for so many hours at a time yeah i mean you you were really intensely out in the streets of london before you left yeah 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 sure yeah so it was i think that's good i think it just it, it reinforced for me like if i if i want to get more shots i think i need to to visit places uh, and and see new things uh, like there's obviously two sides to the argument you can you know just tread the same streets and gain a really intimate knowledge and you'll probably it's probably the best way to do a deeper body of work but mm -hmm. to do what i do which is kind of like it's far more like um broad brush strokes and ideas uh it, it's kind of nice to to visit new places and get new ideas because they spark new things and not that soho is a new place for me but because of the distance i've had from it it kind of had that feel to it you know things have changed right. quite a lot from the last time i was there lots of shops oh, have closed down lots of new things have opened up the the vibe on the street is definitely different at the moment so yeah and it, it's nice because where i am visiting cities the, the closest cities to me are cities i don't know well at all so that challenge is going to be quite a nice one to do yeah mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and a lot of your processor cycles recently have been around this personal project. So it must have been nice just to kind of let go of that for a couple of days 
and and be an observer. Mm. And uh, yeah, and and to do things, you know, go to, go to something I know how to do. Because when you do a personal mm -hmm. project like this, it's like it's like you're in the deep end, so you don't really know what you do. And going back to something I know how to do and feeling very competent doing is kind of like you get a little high from that. You're like, oh yeah, I know how to do this, and then you can kind of you just find yourself running and enjoying it. And it was nice to it was nice to spend time with a mate, and you know who just walking around and, and chatting and catching up was really cool. And jo Josh and I actually have, um, we have kind of a way of shooting together that really works well. I, th I, th I think I struggle with some people because, uh, um, you know, you're worried about stepping on each other's shots if you see the mm -hmm. same thing happening or, or, or you, you talk and, and then you're worried about interrupting someone because they're talking. Like Josh and I just seem to have developed over the last couple of years kind of an understanding where we're at. We, we shoot very differently anyway, so we're looking for different subjects. And we actually, we actually help each other. So I'll block for him, for example. So Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if he sees something and wants to get close, I'll actually stand between him and that person to have a conversation with him. And I'll be looking at my camera and his camera. And he's got his camera maybe at sort of waist height using the screen. And he can take shots, but we're not interrupting anybody or in anyone's face. So I can kind of block mm -hmm. for him in that way, uh, which is quite useful. And I know how to do that. And also if he sees a shot, I know how to get out of his way because I can see it coming. So there's almost like a little bit of intuition that's built up that's quite nice as well. Um, that's great. Which is That's great. And it's not, it's not infringing on the other person's vision. That's great. Yeah. And I, I think... Because often whenever I, you know, if someone gets hold of me and goes, hey, do you want to go out and walk around and take photographs? I mean, not, not to be, usually it's like seeing if they can get a free workshop. You know, it's like, can I, can I, I just want to hang out. I just want to say hi. But then it's like a thousand questions about how do right, I do this? Right, right. Like, the okay, I'm, start, giving you, yeah. I'm giving you a workshop now. But when it's somebody who's actually like, I mean, to be frank, a much better photographer than I am. Um, there's, there's no like weirdness. I'm not asking him to help me. He's not asking me to help him. We're just kind of out doing what we do we're after different subject matter and it's it's just, it's it's a nice way to shoot you know it's kind of nice yeah. to have that yeah that shooting buddy you know i mean i i think i felt the same way walking around cologne with martin yes you know because he's first of all he's shooting so long you know he's shooting at that 200 to 300 millimeter range so i physically can't even see what he's focusing on mm. you know and he would every once in a while he would i, I would ask him what he what he sees and what he's you know, what's the composition? And he would pass me his camera and go, okay, look right here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, me walking around with a 35 and him walking around with a 300, I, I wasn't even able to see it. But then seeing his composition through, through his camera, man, it was just so cool to see how he sees and to see how differently he and I see as we're walking through the streets. And, it, and it, you know, to your point about Josh, it wasn't, you know, competitive in the least. Yeah, because no one sees what Martin sees, so you can't right. threaten him. I mean, he's, a, he's, he's a, a beast. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Who sees in 200 mil? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Rots. Rots yeah, exactly. is the one who sees in 200 mil. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Well, now, have you seen what he's doing now? He's, he's, yeah. he's taking his own work and, and remixing it. He's printing it, remixing it as analog collage. Yeah. It, and it's, it's it, phenomenal. Absolutely beautiful work. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Martin Rotz, M-A-A-R-T-E-N-R-O-T-S. If you can look at, you can look it up online. He's on Instagram. Like one of the most like creative abstract photographers I've ever met. I did a video with yeah. him uh, just before lockdown. Like absolutely amazing. And he's come up with how many ideas while he's been stuck at home has he come up oh, with? 
five, six. Just the ones that we've ideas. heard of, probably yeah. a half a dozen really great ideas yeah. that he has followed to some sort of completion as a body of work. Yeah. Really just incredible. Yeah, he, he, was, he was playing down in his basement with like the angles of the walls and pieces of glass on projectors. And then he was like going onto Google Earth and like taking the shots he would have taken, but using Google Earth. And now he's creating analog remixes of his work like by cutting up. It's like, stop, like you make the rest of us look so lazy, and, like boring. Yeah, oh. any, any one of those projects would have been, you know, that's, that's something. But I, to do, to follow all of them and, and do them so well. I mean, it's just, and he's such a sweetheart. He's such oh, he's a lovely. sweetheart of a guy. He's yeah. lovely. He's a teddy bear Viking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah, that's yeah. He's 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 a good one, and I, I mean, I think it's you know, you bring up Josh. I think it's important to have not just people at a distance that you can look at for inspiration, but people in your circle. Yes, for whom that inspiration is is more well known or more intimate somehow. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Well, you know, where it's not just scenes, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's and that's what makes it more inspiring to me. It's that we we chatted about a few weeks ago, you know. Um, the relationship between like effort and how it adds value to our work. I mm -hmm. know the colossal amount of effort Josh puts into his images and that with a long-term vision he has for the work he makes. And I mean, I, for me, that makes him a much more impressive photographer. And most people don't know and may never know that stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I admire him for that. And like, obviously Martin, like it's just unstoppably creative, you know? Um, Do you think that's, that's something this idea of of showing your work and seeing the effort because we're we're so bombarded with work with new imagery with new music with new film whatever it is whatever the medium is we are so so bombarded with content that one of the byproducts of that bombardment is the loss of how it's done is the loss of of documenting the craft or or making that documentation somehow available it's hard, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people want to keep that secret mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't, they feel like that's like, we, we, I mean, some obviously are just, uh, you know, they're just insecure about the fact that other people would copy it, but some it's personal because it's their process mm -hmm. um, and they want to show the work, but they don't want you to see them doing it or know how, because that's for them. I don't know. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Oh, so it goes straight to Jack Lowe, doesn't it? And like your, the wet plate photography he does, this mm -hmm. kind of dying art, like the way photography used to be that thank goodness there are people like uh, uh, him. And who's the other guy you spoke to in Dakota? Um, oh, Shane Balkowicz. Yeah. I mean, these guys who are keeping this art form going and thank goodness we, we still know how to do that. But there aren't many people yeah. who know. No. I mean, I think Shane said that there are only about a thousand wet plate shooters out there. You know, and, and of those thousand, you know, how many are at that sort of John Coffer, uh, you know, Balkowicz level or uh, uh, Scully Osterman up in, in New York at Eastman House? You know, not too many. There, there might be, you know, a lot in that maybe 80 percent bracket, but, but the, the 20 percent or even the 10 percent at the top, there aren't too many people doing that kind of work. Mm. And fortunately, that community seems to be uh, all too willing to share that knowledge because they don't want to see that knowledge die. They don't want to see this thing go away. So the, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a necessary evil. If we, if we want to keep this 
process alive, if we want to keep this history alive, we have to keep passing it down. We have to keep sharing how it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I think Richard would speak to that if, you know, when we open it up, if he wants to come up, you know, he's, here's a guy who's making his own albumin uh, emulsion, you know, coating his own paper. He's using palladium, he's using platinum, he's using gold. He's doing these, you know, these dying and in some cases sort of dead alternative techniques relative to, to what's out in, in the commercial space. And he had to learn from somebody. And, and yeah. I would imagine, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but maybe he can speak to it. I would imagine that he's willing to pass that knowledge down because after him, if there aren't any more coming up, then he's that he's, he's the caboose on that train. Right. Yeah. You, you, um, you, I think it was the interview you did with Shane, uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned that he learned from a guy who sent him the manual. Yeah. That's what John Coffer. That? So what was that? about? Yeah. Well, John is, um, John lives in upstate New York and he does workshops. Um, he's part of, again, he's at that select few level. There was another guy that lived about 20 minutes away from me when I was still in California, a guy named Will Dunaway, mm. um, who, uh, you know, was kind of at that level. Um, and then, uh, Scully Osterman, they taught Sally Mann. Um, Sally Mann has, you know, taught how many other people who are, who have been, you know, influenced or inspired or directly instructed by her. But Coffer, the way it works with him is, uh, you, you send him a note because there's no, there's no electronic communication to my knowledge. Maybe this has changed, but you would send him a note with a check and he would write out this manual of how to do wet plate and, and assemble it and send it back to you. I think it was $75. Uh, and that's how Shane first got into it. And he ended up building this beautiful natural light studio in Bismarck. Uh, and his, his project is photographing a thousand Native American portraits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenally ambitious project. And, and he has this, this other full-time job in addition to spending hours and days and weeks and months, you know, at wet plate, but he can't not do it, mm. you know? And I think at, at that level, when you, when you get to, and maybe it's not across the board, but certainly in photography, I would imagine that, you know, the people that are at that level, the Stephen Shores, the Myrowitzes, the, you know, the Avedons, it becomes all encompassing. It has mm. to to be at that level, I think. It has to. I mean, it's, it's such a huge investment, mm -hmm. money and time. Yeah. Um, if you're in, you're in, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, there's a, in fact, Richard sent me, um, speaking of Abaddon, he sent me um, a notice. There's a, a guy called Philip Gefter, who apparently is is an author and and you know one of the experts on Avedon and there's a, a Zoom seminar tomorrow or webinar rather called Why Avedon is Avedon and he's kind of making the case or for why Avedon you know was one of the most significant artists of the 20th century and talking about how he kind of revolutionized fashion photography mm -hmm. and and commercial photography and and you know sort of blurred that line between art and commerce within, within the genre. And I, it sounds fascinating. So I'm going to try and get a slot in there and, and see if I can sit in on it. And, uh, because I, I'm a huge fan of his work and, and, you know, anything that I can learn about him, I think fuels my own journey in some way. What's it? Um, I mean, Abaddon has been your, one of your favorites for, for, for yeah. hasn't he? 
Yeah. What's it about his work for you? Hmm. You know, it's, that's a good question. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't discover Avedon's work. I, I mean, I, I'd heard the name, but I didn't really dive into his work until much later relative to when I started taking pictures. And I, I think it was the relentlessness of him. I think it was the, the, the drive. You could see the drive. You could see a direct result of the drive in the pictures. You right. know, you could see a, a direct result of the effort. And I mean, you know how I feel about effort. That's effort and service and, and you know, sweat equity. Those are, those are the languages that I try and, you know, anchor to my core. And to see that Avedon was so obsessed with photography that it cost him relationships. It cost him, you know, relationships with his wife, with his son, with, mm. you know, with so many people. But at the end of the day, you know, he, cha- he did change fashion photography. He took photography out of the studio and into the streets of Paris in the 40s. And, and you know, doing the, the, the poster of Nastasia Kinski sold, you know, like 5 million copies or something. That was the first time that anybody had, had done that. And, and a lot of the other photographers kind of hated him for it, from what I understand, mm-hmm. because they, they saw it as, as kind of selling out in a, in a sense. But I think it was him seeing around the corner. You know, right. I think it was him seeing what was coming next and being on the leading edge of that curve instead of playing catch up. Um, and, and just, you know, going after the, the, the personal projects and, and putting the image before anything else. I mean, I think it's such a stunning body of work. And I had never seen any of his work in person until uh, Paris Photo in 2013, I think, or 2012 or 2013. And standing in front of these enormous prints, you know, it, it's like any big print that, that for me, there, some work doesn't fit large. Like I, I saw some Cindy Sherman work mm-hmm. at, I think it was at the National Gallery, either the National Gallery or National Portrait Gallery. And it was like, okay, mm-hmm. it, it's big, but I don't know that it gained anything for me. Yeah. Whereas somebody like Bertinsky uh, on that side or Helmut Newton seeing you know, his show at the Annenberg space where you had these like six and seven foot tall prints. It, it was just impressive on a different level. And, and it wasn't that they were super sharp and super crisp. They were grainy as hell, mm-hmm. but it was okay, you know, because it fit the work. It fit the mood of the work. And I think seeing Avedon's work for me in person and, and just standing in front of it and, and letting what little history at the time I knew of him sort of wash over me. It, I don't know. It just, it, it, I had a reaction to it and, mm-hmm. and it was, it was an absolutely sort of, uh, um, unbridled emotional reaction. I mean, I got like really kind of choked up standing in front of these photographs and, and I, I don't know, I can't really explain it, but. Do you remember any there have images been, particularly? There was some of the stuff from the American West. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and look, there are stories around, you know, he, he, how he found people and why he found people. And you've heard the stories about the, the, you know, the Windsors and how he told, told them that the cab on the way over hit the dog so he could get the reaction he wanted and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, like, like okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dick move, maybe, yeah, but yeah. you know, is, Great is shot. the photo, Definitely. yeah, is the photo worth it? Eh, probably, you know, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, there, there are just some of, there are some pictures that I, that I have had those kinds of reactions to. And, and I think 
when I, when I can, when I can resonate with some of the effort that was put in or some of what the effort cost, it makes it more real for me somehow. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't quite know how to explain it other than that. Um, you know, again, at that size, you know, were they absolutely pristine in terms of, you know, what is fetishized now, this edge to edge sharpness and no, probably not. But the emotional connection to that work transcended any of the technical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's what we're all after, isn't it? But don't understand. So we all just try and take a clean photograph and hope it arrives, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I have no idea how it works yet, though. Is there somebody out there f like that for you, for whom you've either in a book or, or at a show that you've had some sort of ex uh, unexplainable, maybe emotional reaction or connection to the work? Yeah, there's a few, I think. I mean, uh, um, seeing Don McCullen's work mm. in the flesh was amazing uh, oh, a couple yeah, of years ago. I'd love ago. to see his work. Yeah. Like, uh, and obviously that's going to give you an emotional response because the subject matter is incredibly heavy, but it, it, it is, mm -hmm. you, you know, it, it was overwhelming. That was the problem is, is like, I, I, I actually came out having empathy for him because I've heard him say in interviews like, uh, you know, my dark room is a haunted place because mm. of the things that he's seen and the things he's photographed. And, but when you, when you spend, you know, you just kept going through this exhibition, you finish a room and you walk into another and you go, oh, okay, right now, now we're in war-torn Congo in the sixties. All right, here we go. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's get through. Okay. And then you walk into another, oh God, now, now we're in, now we're in Beirut. Oh shit. This is going to be okay. And just keeps going room after room after room. And by after I'm going, how can one man see all this and put it, it just, it just kept on going. And I, 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 felt, mm. I felt it was really oppressive by the end of it and sort of ends. Was this with the his, one at the Tate? Yes. Is that what this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and, and it ended with his landscape shots. Mm, which, which are beautiful, which are, but like, you, you know, but what? haunted. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing yeah. is like, is like, I might've seen those first and gone, Oh, I don't care. But by the time I got to them after all that, which is obviously the order, he arrived at them in, in his own journey is like, Oh, I get it. You've come home, but yeah. like home is haunted for you now. Cause you can't escape the rooms I've just walked through. This is, mm -hmm. this is tainted how you see everything. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, it was so, Gosh, it was really heavy. It was really heavy. Um, and again, How big like, was the work on the walls? Was it were a lot they of big it prints? Wasn't that big? No, a lot of it was mm -hmm. uh, was kind of um, I don't know, like A four to A three. A twos were big mm. prints. Okay, so not huge. No, not massive at all. I mean, a lot of it obviously is shot on thirty five mil triax, as grainy as hell as well. It doesn't look good blown up big. Right, um, it's not what it's for. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't massive, but the, but the volume man alive, uh, it's just, yeah. it's just so much work up there. I mean, if I say that there were like 15 rooms and 300 images, I'm not exaggerating. Wow. It was just, it was just, that's a lot to was, take in in one was go. So, I mean, so, I suppose it's a lifetime retrospective, but right. like, wowza, it was a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It He's was, somebody that I would love to talk to and, and not oh. talk about the conflict. I, I, not, not directly. I mean, I would love to talk to him about how the conflict informs his landscape photography, but I, I don't want to talk about that directly because you can, you can hear in his voice even now 
how painful it is and how that's all everybody wants to talk about. Please promise me you'll just at least send an email and ask, please, because that would be an amazing interview. <laughs> if I could find a direct connect to him, yeah. uh, it, it would be great. Um, God, have you seen his autobiography that's out? The big two-volume slip-covered thing? Yeah. $2,500 oh. $2, or yeah, something? It's a beast, yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you heard that um, there's a movie, they've got, had a movie in the works for a little while with Tom Hardy playing him. It's based on oh, his, really? It's based on his biography, uh, Unreasonable Behavior. Um, Interesting. I mean, Tom. Hardy I think Tom Hardy Gun- could do him justice. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. Mm. Wow. He kind of looks like a young McCullen. Yeah, I would see that. Who's? Do you know who's doing it? I can't remember who the director was. I think it's been passed around a bit, but they keep saying they're starting filming, and of course, then lockdowns and all the rest of it. But it was definitely in the works. Yeah. Is his is his autobiography? Is that the unreasonable behavior? Is that available separately from the the giant? $2,500 or whatever thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's or is a, it only part pa- of it? It's a paperback, yeah. Is it? Okay, I'll yeah, look yeah, for that. Really I haven't good. read that. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's pretty full on, but it's very good, yeah. Yeah, there's also a great um, documentary just called McCullen that's out there. Again, like a very heavy watch. But uh, wow, like what an articulate guy, you know? Mm-hmm. To have gone through everything he's gone through, seen what he's seen, but just be... I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. He's an absolute gent, you know, and seems to be very, very kind and generous with his time uh, and, and sort of accepts his demons, I think, quite graciously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, you know, seeing what combat photojournalists have to see and, and not really be able to react to in the moment. You know, you, you've got to stay on task. You've got to stay on, 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 on message that you're trying to capture these events. I, I couldn't do it. I know I couldn't do it. And not, you're not supposed to get involved, you know? Right. I mean, there's pictures of Don like running down the street, carrying an old lady who couldn't escape the conflict quick enough, but he was criticized for that because you're not supposed to interfere. Mm -hmm. How could you not? But you know, he, yeah, that's kind of breaking the rules really. Gosh, what a- yeah, I mean, how how do you how do you how do you deal with that hierarchy of photographer first, human second? How do you? I don't know how you you train yourself. I mean, maybe maybe it is just that. Maybe it is uh, it's training and repetition of of staying away, staying at arm's distance, staying out of it, as it were. But I wonder if you could talk to Don about that incident in particular and what was it about that incident that that allowed him to cross that line (laughs) i I get the feeling he just did it all the time and didn't care and that was just and just didn't just didn't care the one that they caught him on camera doing yeah i get the feeling he just didn't care yeah yeah which uh which kind of makes me like him even more you know right and another one who's really interesting on the on the fashion front though like who, um, I, I don't know how much you've dug into his work, is Peter Lindbergh. Um, like someone who changed yeah. the face of fashion, like moved the needle a bit uh, from being like this high glam and glossy stuff to something much more uh, stripped back and gritty and, and minimal, like mostly black and white. Uh, a lot of it was shot on grainy film, but and outdoors. It wasn't lit to within an inch of his life. That's not what he wanted. He has some, uh, he has some, obviously passed away a couple of years ago. 
but I've got a couple of his books as well. Really interesting stuff for a guy who moved the needle on a genre. Uh, mm -hmm. Give give me a recommendation. Can you do you have one off the top of your head for a book to to dive into his work? Peter Lindbergh. Yeah. The one that I've got that's really good is called A Different Vision on Fashion Photography. So okay. it's, it's just Peter Lindbergh, colon, A Different Vision on Fashion Photography. That was that was really good. Um, got it. Yeah, definitely worth taking a look at. It's, it, it, it's actually influenced um, the way I want to do natural light portraits because a lot of his stuff was natural light as well. Um, and and I'm 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 almost not brave enough to go there because I'm still clean. Like we were saying earlier, I'm clinging to the clean image, you know. Mm -hmm. Because it's funny, like when you start in photography, I think your images are messy and crap. But then as you as you build up a skill set, you learn how to take that kind of clean image that everyone's very impressed with. But then when you're at that middle stage, the temptation is just to cling to that because you've you've got a lot of the technical stuff down and you can hammer that out every time. But now it's a case of transcending the safety zone, like taking off the training wheels and going, okay, I'm going to go back to uncontrolled and messy and, and, and see what happens. Like that's the next thing for me, I think. And he's one of those guys who pushes me with his work to go, I need to, I need to stop chasing quote unquote technical perfection um, mm -hmm. and open things up a lot more. What, what does that look like for you in practice? Have you, have you been able to kind of identify what, what concrete changes or practical changes you would need to kind of tweak to get there? Or is it still kind of in the abstract for you? Yeah, it is. I'm not sure yet. I don't know. Like I'm doing little things at the moment. Like I do have a few film cameras, which now live permanently in the boot of my car. So when I drive around, um, and it's not people yet, but when I drive around, I'm trying to just shoot through some rolls of film to, to let go of that control of the final image because you know who knows what that film's going to do to it um depending on which film i throw in it it's going to do different stuff to it and i'm not going to mm -hmm. have that that fine control i can have with a raw file and post um so that's kind of early days but but i'm too afraid for example to to shoot this portrait project that i'm starting on film just to see what happens because i, I i'm still clinging on to the control i need it controlled so i almost need like a side project like I had an idea, maybe, and I, I, I want to try this. It's like I, I want to, and I felt like I need to go as far away from the kind of the skill set that I built for myself. So I thought maybe I, because the, the area where I live is full of ruins. There's like ruined farmhouses and abbeys and churches and all that sort of stuff. Then maybe I need to start a project shooting uh, infrared film with a red filter of these things because I don't know how to do that at all. I'm absolutely mm. clueless. And maybe maybe doing something I really don't know how to do will will unlock some of that. And uh, I went to an exhibition um, like a week ago. They, they're doing this thing uh, called Open York, where around York, they've got a series of, I think there's like 15 galleries. And in each gallery, they're featuring five to six artists work. And the one that I went through to um, had a photographer displaying his work that looked like, I mean, there's lots of kind of infrared looking stuff and very, very heavy kind of McCullen-esque landscape stuff, which is very hmm, contrasting, really? grainy. And I said, wow, what, what film are you shooting this on? He's like, no, 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 this is digital. I'm doing all this in post. He fooled me looking at it. 
And huh. and I thought that's that's cool. That's what I need to learn how to do is deliberately screw things up again after I've taken that clean minute. <laughs> because if, 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 get, a, if get away from the control, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's done right, if it's done well, then actually you're creating something more interesting than the flat image that the raw file gives you, or the clean edit that you're used to knocking out in, in 30 seconds. You know, something that's got a lot more character to it that you can create from scratch. I know we all look down on that and go, well, if you if you're creating that kind of look in post, it's not as good as creating it on film. I'm like, well, why not? It takes it takes more skill to do that because I, a film will do it by accident. I don't have any control, but to do that, to put that look on film so that I can sell that feeling on that on that image, but do it in a way that it doesn't look digital over processed, I think is a is a huge skill set. Yes, but mm. <laughs> if, if I may offer, it doesn't get you very far afield from control. It almost gets you further into exercising more control rather than embracing what could happen with film, rather than embracing the unpredictability or, or uh, the happenstance of shooting with film. Now you're, even, you're, you're applying even more control because it's got to look like the happenstance or unpredictability of film. So I wonder just emotionally, existentially, does it get you where you want to go applying more control rather than less? No, I hear you. But I, I, th I think like, uh, and you're right, you're absolutely right. It is more control. But I think that the, the trick for me is going to be, and this is why it's a good idea to do it on film first, to give mm. yourself accidental ideas outside of your very neat box that you can then try and replicate and take further in post where you're not trying to be as neat and tidy, but you're trying to use, I mean, it was interesting. So, so for anyone who's listening, like Jeffrey's just done a fantastic interview with Brooke Shaden. Um, and she was talking in the interview about um, when she was starting to do mixed media and paint on top of her images and how there were, there were one or two where she messed it up, like in inverted commas. But then when she came back to it the next day and tried to rescue it, as she said, she's actually, Oh no, there's something here, you know? So it's, right. it's working with something afterwards, allowing for the accident and then leaning into it and seeing where it takes you that I think yeah. you can do digitally, but you just have to, you have to work at it or think about it in a different way. And that's, it's a mindset shift for me, definitely. Cause I do want to control everything, but it would be like, I'm going to use the same tools that I know how to you and be very controlled with, but I'm going to mm -hmm. switch mindset and now try and screw it up more and see what happy accidents I get out of it and lean right. into those instead of and resist the temptation to pull it back to a safer space. Yeah. I still wonder about the, because you still do have an exit strategy. You still do have undo oh, yeah. and you still, you know, or, and, and in fact, friend. that's right. <laughs> you know, going, going another thing about the, the Brooke conversation where she, when she first started uh, applying mixed media, she painted on glass photographed that, brought that into the computer and did the addition of, of the analog medium quotes yeah. digitally. And she showed the, the pictures to her gallerist and the gallerist was like, no, 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 no. If you're going to do this, you've got to paint on the picture. You can't, don't, 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 don't do it. You know, don't let go of that control. Let, let go of, 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 mm. you know, the urge to, to be able to do it just so and embrace what you don't know embrace letting it go where it wants to go and she did and and that's when she got to that that point that you mentioned where you know 
she thought she ruined these prints, but then came back to them and, and they did actually go in a direction, not that was expected, but ultimately where they needed to go mm-hmm. to, to kind of take her work to the next level. And, and, and she's done some absolutely phenomenal, I just love her. And I'm so grateful for the time that we got to, I mean, you know, that, that's a conversation I've wanted to have for a long time. Yeah. And it was so worth the wait. My only thing, you. my only thing at the end of that conversation was I need about five more of these. Cause there was, I, I was left wanting a ton more after that. It was such a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's great. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, she's, she's in the midst of doing this other project and, uh, we talked about maybe doing a follow-up and, and talking more about it. Cause I, I'm right there with you. I, there were so many things that mm-hmm. we still, that we didn't get to, you know, and, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't cut much at all, a little bit at the top and tail when we were just kind of, you know, saying hello and getting set up. But mm-hmm. what you hear is, is basically what was recorded. And I think there's still so much there left to talk about. So I'm, I'm hoping that we get another shot at that. Please do. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's another one. I know we've mentioned like about 15 photographers today, but that's all right. Is <laughs> is Sally Mann. Like, uh, and, Sally is so on my list. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. God. It, it would be a dream to talk to her. But, but talk about somebody who, who went around shooting like uh, landscapes and stuff with no control with a large format and then deliberately mm-hmm. screwing them up afterwards, like letting go and... And, uh, oh yeah, I mean, hearing her talk about you know dumping you know dirt and vermiculite and dust into the emulsion and and you know she what did she say? She said she you know most people pray to the gods of certainty. I pray to the gods of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You know she wants <laughs> she wants the emulsion not to stick. She wants there to be dirt and detritus and you know all this stuff in in it because that's that's for her what gives it more character and it becomes more visceral, you know, and I, I've, I've used her as an example several times where, you know, if you, if you walk out into a field with a, you know, Nikon Z6 or D850, like whatever the hot Sony, a blah, 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 and take a picture of the tree, like, so what by and large, Mm -hmm. but when you're, when you're hefting an eight by 10 wet plate camera out there and all the chemistry and a mobile darkroom and letting the the in the the sort of unpredictability of that process run amok that all adds to making this thing interesting you know and that's before we even get to the significance of that particular tree because it's on this particular battlefield in this particular corner of virginia etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. you know it, it there there is so much to her work that you know it was i think it was 2018 when a thousand crossings was at the national gallery and mm. I think I went through it six or seven times, Wow! you know, just because I couldn't get enough of that work. It was just, it was absolutely stunning seeing and seeing the progression of that, seeing the, the super clean, beautifully exposed work of immediate family progress into Mm. this very visceral, um, you know, messy in a good way work of, of the wet, the wet plate stuff on, on the battlefields and, and, you know, the, the train trestle crossing where they pulled Emmett Till's body out of the river. I mean, all of this sort of, you know, stuff around, around the South and the South's position and in the, within, you know, the, the, the Confederacy and, and racism and like all of this stuff from her point of view, it just made an incredible body of work, absolutely Mm -hmm. stunning body of work. And then to hear her talk, you know, uh, afterwards, uh, was wonderful. It was absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she's, she's on my short list. 
I doubt it'll ever happen, but you know, a hey, boy can, can only ask. <laughs> That's right. Can only ask. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app to get Deep Natter along with Process Driven and everything else I release all in one feed. If you'd like to support the show and help others find it, you can leave a review or a rating wherever you listen and share it on social media. And as a reminder, you can listen to the show live and be a part of the conversations Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Clubhouse. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S or on my website at jeffreysidoris.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you sharing your time with us and we hope you'll come back for the next one.